there's really cool ideas that are way more accessible if they don't have any revenue behind them where someone can instantly say, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's going to make money. Got it. I might want to invest in it. And then there's our idea, which niche, geeky, weird. I mean, your, your user experience, your customer love is dependent on something customers don't love. Well, so I'll, I'll jump in on that one because I spent a decade building <laughs> Salesforce instance. <laughs> of course it's a loaded no, question. No, it's a great question. It's actually a really fantastic question. a few different cities against each other and uh, kind of fell in love with Denver right away from uh, mostly from a talent perspective that was like the number one reason we want to come out here um, really some great big names out here great talent not just at the junior level but at the senior level as well this is the Proco 360 podcast I'm Dave Tabor hosting Proco 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs and leaders my guests have built very successful businesses, team members, and collaborators who also love all that Colorado has to offer. Today's episode will be fun. First, my guests are husband and wife, Niji Sabarwal, CEO, and Jen Knight, CTO of AgentSync. It's been quite some time, in fact, years, since I've interviewed a husband and wife together. Those were the co-founders of Zero Shoes. And this is also a first for me, this is a company that's building a very successful business, one that's raised over $30 million in funding, and most recently, uh, the funding was valued at $220 million for the company, but this is a product available as a plug-in on the Salesforce platform. That's really interesting to me. AgentSync serves a very specific niche and a very large and important niche of ensuring that insurance agents are properly licensed. And I don't, it didn't sound all that interesting to me, but they're building a great business. So seriously, this was all started by Niji and Jen themselves coding and selling. So Jen, Niji, thanks for joining on Proco 360. Thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks for having us. So, so first, I gave my intro for the company. Am I anywhere close? What is AgentSync about? What is this painful problem that you're trying to solve? Going back to kind of the, the origin story, um, Zenefits is a really a, a HR technology platform plus insurance brokerage. And you were working there. Yeah. So I joined Zenefits back in 2014 to lead the sales strategy and operations team. We grew way too quickly, ended up uh, basically not getting the right licenses in time. And we faced regulatory violations across every every state. And insurance is regulated on a state-to-state basis. Uh, state regs are specific to that state. Um, they can vary tremendously. And those are just a bunch of steps involved in that process. So getting uh, one agent licensed in all the states really quickly is incredibly difficult. Mm. And so we faced kind of the, the pain there firsthand and got into a ton of trouble over it in a, in a very public way. Hmm. And uh, the CEO at the time had me drop what I was doing, partner up with our, our general counsel, our GR and, and legal team to uh, basically identify the, 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 the underlying issue of the problem, fix it, and then uh, work with the states to, to settle all the violations. It took about 22 months. It was very painful, uh, but kind of got thrown in head first to this problem. And what we ended up doing there was uh, creating a free app that we integrated to our own Salesforce instance, uh, where mm. we connected it to the to NIPR, the National Insurance Producer Registry, to get real time uh, insurance yeah. broker data. So you did that when you were at Zenefits. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, so they uh, we so were able to cure. Your beta version was built in house. Totally got it. Yeah, so we were able to cure those issues basically overnight, um, and we open sourced as a free app for the industry. It was a, it was a very rudimentary version of yeah. AgentSync. Um, but got a ton of traction. That's where a bunch of light bulbs went off where I realized huh. this, this thing might have legs. So is that why you built it for sales as a plugin for Salesforce? Because that's what you needed at Zenefits? Uh, yeah. So we we knew that there were a ton of insurance companies, probably the, the platform that made the most sense that we can actually build a proprietary piece of functionality on top mm-hmm. of. Um, and, you know, Jen, Jen has a ton of, we both actually have a ton of experience, but Jen has a ton of experience building applications on Salesforce. So we were able to connect the dots really quickly prototype something that insurance company, mm-hmm. you know, most risk averse buyers on the planet would, would put an investment into. So really as a husband and wife, if you weren't on the one side experiencing the problem and solving it and Jen weren't on the, the solution side, this never could have come together. Really? It would have been really hard. Yeah. yeah. It, it was more like me venting at night. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you, you know, and, and it, at what point, were you when you thought, okay, this is something we should take away from where I am today and start and start selling and actually making money? I mean, you were open source, which is kind of kind of crazy, and then you decided let's close this and and figure out how to make a business out of it. Yeah, so the the app that we put out there was a free app on the Salesforce App Exchange, and we we got one of the keynote stages at Dreamforce Salesforce's uh-huh. in a customer conference to unveil it and talk about it, and got a ton of traction there. And, uh, you know, kind of worked diligently over the next 22 months to work with state regulators to say, hey, you know, we bent over backwards to solve this problem and, and to create a solution for the industry, um, which, you know, which worked really well. And we actually created a, a great application, but it was a very bare bones version that worked mm-hmm. for a very specific use case. Yeah. We identified that there was a much bigger need beyond the, you know, the Zenefits use case. And so, um, you know, really, we we saw the problem, realized that we had a potential solution for it. And we knew there were, there were there's going to be a market. We just weren't sure how much they were going to pay for it. Yeah. We had really, really exciting dinner conversations. You can imagine pondering yeah. the future of insurance regulatory compliance software built on Salesforce. But in those conversations, we ultimately decided uh, that if not now, when, and uh, we had always wanted to build something together when we were at LinkedIn um, and we never come up with something that we felt could expand beyond some very you know, specific niche use cases. And this just felt like a, a fun bet to take. And we were really lucky in that moment that Niji had an opportunity to just lean into that and I could keep mm-hmm. working. Um, so we could bootstrap the company and, uh, test our, test our idea. Well, it's so, it strikes me as it'd be like so internally motivating to have the light bulb go off, to know that the two of you more than any other pair in the world, like can solve this problem. That Look, had to be. Yeah. Looking back on it. Yes. But in the moment, <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was just, I, I, I mean, I, it made for a lot of uh, very boring weekends of reading XML docs and maybe going, Niji, what is, what, is a, what is a carrier appointment again? How does that work? What does this data point mean? What does that data point mean? Um, but I, I think one thing I've appreciated about it is we really came in with a, a healthy respect for the problem statement, but also enough um, you know, new eyes on it. So it was actually a lot of fun. I don't think we would also be here if it didn't turn out to be a really fun engineering problem, frankly, as well. Um, hmm. Because the more you dig, it doesn't get boring. It gets really, really intriguing and pretty fascinating about how does a business operate and how can we help. Um, and I, I'm just consistently impressed by our clients. Honestly, they they know so much and they've built really amazing processes. Often, um, not with great forward modern technology, but really incredible processes to help this process flow. So it's been super fun to learn from them uh, and. 
now our life is mostly insurance chatter, but you know, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's cool. Listeners, this is Proco 360, named best Denver podcast three years running and named best Colorado business podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Niji Sabrawal, CEO, and Jen Knight, CTO of AgentSync. Thanks to our sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, and Digital Frontier Printing. All my sponsors support Colorado business and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco 360. So, all right, so you guys built something that worked better than the, the free open source app. It solved more problems. So when did you start raising money? How did that happen? Yeah, so we uh, we bootstrapped the business. So we we're basically funding everything out of our checking account for for the first year or so. Yeah, how much money are you talking? Um, it was like quarter million dollars that we ended up uh, shelling pretty... out of our checking account. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so it was it was a chump change. Yeah. Um, we were fortunate enough to, you know, privileged enough to to have that opportunity mm-hmm. um, and to be able to walk away from a big, me walk away from a big paycheck. Well, you know, Jen brought brought the bacon home, mm-hmm. and we're able to you know get the business up and running. We're able to uh, hire a couple employees to get, to get us going, to pay for all the partnerships and all that good stuff. And then, um, you know, we we actually got a great product market fit really quickly. We we're able to with a very lightweight team, we we're able to iterate and push new new features, new updates every week or so. And uh, we actually quickly got to cash flow positive within uh, the first year and a half or so. Cash flow and, positive, but that's before, that didn't include paying yourself, does it? <laughs> uh, we were not paying ourselves. No, <laughs> we weren't paying ourselves until about a year ago, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so cash flow positive is a funny, a funny phrase in your world, right? Yeah. In this world of startup, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we were able to make payroll and yeah. Yeah. Uh, pay for for all the business expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, myself, Jen, and uh, Brandon, who's our CEO, he was gracious enough not to take a paycheck as well during mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Uh, which is a tough sell. Uh, but we, we ended up, uh, end up going out to raise stupidly enough, right when COVID kind of exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had this interesting, uh, chain of events. We, uh, decided that, you know, this thing had legs and, uh, we had good enough product market fit and willingness to pay that, um, we can make this a pretty big company and, uh, and go get funding around it. And made the decision to to get funding, then realized that hey, you know, San Francisco might not be the best place to actually grow a business. And we we hired actually all of our employees remote from day one, mm-hmm. and uh, just not the same place it used to be as far as just the overall cost cost of living, the, you know, talent retention, access to to great talent. So we're looking around, and uh, we were weighing a few different cities against each other, and uh, kind of fell in love with Denver right away. From uh, mostly from a talent perspective, that Mm -hmm. was like the number one reason we wanted to come out here. Um, Really, some great big names out here, great talent, not just at the junior level, but at the senior level as well. And um, also, you know, happened to be a a place that we'd actually want to live. Yeah, that was, that was an important part. And so kind of made the decision that Denver was going to be the place that we wanted to grow from and that we wanted to raise cash. So we went, came out here for a weekend to check out the city. Jen's never been here. I was here ages ago for a conference and we bought a house that weekend. Wow. So it was very fast then. Well, we, and you raised, you raised $4 million in that first round, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's four, four, four point four. I mean, so here's, here's my question about that. And then another seven and then another 25. And I mean, you guys have raised a lot of money. Um, in fact, you told me before we started, it was too much money. Yeah, yeah, we probably raised too much to be honest. <laughs> Why? How, do, how can you say that? Well, based on the, the the timing, right? So we raised four four point four back in June of last year. We raised six point seven about three or four months later, and then we raised another twenty five um, in March. So that's thirty six, just over thirty six total. 
And you know, we our burn rate is is great because we have so much customer revenue coming in to offset it. So we have you know over five years of runway. Mm-hmm. And when you know when you're raising money for a company like us that that's fast growing, you actually want to raise smaller tranches if you can because you actually give up less dilution along the way. So you know, if we went out to raise today, we could raise at you know probably double or triple the valuation that we just got three months ago. Yeah. So you get a different conversion on that as we go. So that's why you say you raise too much money. You, ba- you basically feel like perhaps based on your, the actual run rate that you need, because you're not burning cash the way a lot of startups do, you actually have revenue coming in. You could have raised less money, given away less in, yeah. in equity. Interesting. All but right. There, yeah. There's there's a flip side to that. So raising Series A and and having that eye popping valuation, yeah, uh, afforded us the ability to go out and get very senior, um, big hit, big big hitting talent. Yeah, yeah, and probably some strategic lift as well that some folks can help you, uh, help you move the the company along a lot faster. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, bringing additional investors on. So we brought on Mark Benioff, for example, in the last uh, yeah, the last round. That was an interesting Mark Benioff, the CEO, founder and CEO of Salesforce, and he's investing. Does he often invest in apps that go on his platform? Because I mean, what a blessing that is. Definitely a blessing. I don't actually know the stats of um, him investing in in app exchange apps. They have another arm of investment at Salesforce um, as well mm. that that uh, invests in that mm-hmm. space. Um, Hmm. That's a good question, actually. That's a, kind of an intriguing deal for me because it's like you think about it. If you own Salesforce and you're choosing which apps to invest in mm-hmm. that go on your own platform, what an interesting um, opportunity, right, to continue to help those apps to be successful. It's almost incestuous. Well, it is <laughs> incestuous. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's but if you're on the inside of it, it's a good deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a good reminder. <laughs> Salesforce is, you know, they're worth over two, $200 billion market cap. Um, they're highly verticalized. So this is, you know, uh, yeah. insurance is a small segment out of their financial services segment. So yeah. it's, it is a small sliver. Well, let me back up a little bit because this, uh, I really want to explore this question, which is a lot, something a lot of entrepreneurs and tech entrepreneurs have trouble with, which is explaining what they do to people who aren't insiders. Mm-hmm. And you're out there raising 4.4, then seven, then $25 million. It's such a geeky, niche thing. <laughs> so how do you... You know, did you have any trouble explaining it so people got it and appreciate your laughing? Yeah, yeah, yeah all time. the time. I think Niji did a, a really heavy lift on the on that first round, the seed in particular. Um, to, it was really the only lift was the seed. Well, yeah, that was that was the lift. I think one, hmm. one thing that we appreciate always is the the ability for us to bootstrap and get product market product market fit, and then also have really strong revenue numbers when we were raising was critical. Um, there's two sides to is what's the idea? Can the idea make money? And I think there's really cool ideas that are way more, way more accessible if they don't have any revenue behind them where someone can instantly say, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's mm-hmm. gonna make money, yeah. got it. Yeah. I might wanna invest in it. And then there's our idea, which niche, geeky, weird. And we already said, hey, yeah, it's niche, geeky, and weird, but here's this huge insurance industry. And also we've just taken this tiny piece and here are the revenue numbers that back up that what we're doing is something meaningful and mm. powerful. And so there was a, a really big push when we were find, doing our seed to find uh, investors that resonated with that, that were operators, that were really excited about weird, geeky, niche things that could then appreciate the, the revenue opportunity mm. there. And then from there, the next rounds were more on our growth um, and us proving that with that money, we'd accelerated the business forward. So it becomes an easier proposition. But yeah. I do think if you're raising for something like our idea, it's going to be hard if you can't already show some amount of fit and have product out the door. 
Yeah. Is that what you, is that what you found? Niji, you did the lifting on the uh, sort of the sales message or the messaging around the product. Was it hard? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) It's, I think even explaining it to somebody from the industry, they get that's a problem, um, but trying to size the addressable market for it is, is kind of a big leap for most folks to take that because there aren't many technology providers in the insurance space, especially infrastructure yeah. plays. So there aren't a lot of data points to point to, to say this, this is successful kind of disruptive technology company focused on insurance problem. You yeah. Not that many data points. You know, yeah, this is, um, this is what's intriguing to me about it because your customers knew they had a problem. They didn't know there was a solution. They were used to it. And so did you have to actually do the math for them to help them understand what the ROI would be in solving this problem? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we have ROI calculators and, and there's the efficiency gain that you get from using our platform, headcount savings, the visibility, the human error that you kind of deflect pretty quickly and having a single platform um, that if your business is run Salesforce yeah. or using Salesforce, it's tightly integrated. So, you know, I... And I asked the question, I'm going to unask it because the idea of creating an ROI calculator is mostly bullshit when people do it. And it's usually like 10,000% by the time they're done adding all the factors. So did your customers feel a pain point, at least your first feel a deep pain point, and then you help them justify it? Or did they even not even think it could be solved? Like, where did you start? Yeah, mostly the latter. It was, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't see another way necessarily to, to solve for it. And they've been doing it, um, you know, the might sound a little like, you know, belittling in some way, but they're, the industry has been solving this problem in the same way for so long that yeah. it, it's hard to take a step back and say, hey, like, what are we actually doing here? And what are, what are the 10 things that need to happen to get from point A to point B? And we took that, we took that step back for them and said, hey, here are all the steps. Um, let's build a business process around it that actually checks all the boxes along the way and it kind of builds visibility into yeah. the insurance distribution channel for them. So I could see where now, now you're demonstrating that it works. The early, the early folks, the early adopters come in and they're like, yeah, it works. Now all of a sudden everybody else is probably an easy sell. I would think easy, maybe. easier, easier. easier. <laughs> I mean, I, I think to the, yeah. to the point of um, being able to back it up, right. ROI calculator. Yeah. Sure. Fine. I can put an Excel formula in and yeah, tell yeah, you it's yeah. going to be great. I could build one for you probably. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason that we can answer the question of, you know, it, it used to take three weeks and now it takes a day is we have customers who've done that. Yeah. You had a team of 500 admins. You have a team of 50 or 10. Now you had this kind of experience. You have this. So we have those stories yeah. that we can um, really back it up with and, and say when the rubber meets the road, if you're using the tool, you will see efficiencies. All right. Yeah. I got to switch gears. Uh, you always get it. And I'm switch gears a couple of times. Uh, you always get asked, I'm sure about being a husband wife founders. So do you find this question just sort of disinteresting at this point? Definitely not. It's, it's weird. It's, it's, a tough thing to, to do and to do well. I don't and know. I think it's really interesting to, to, to most people. Yeah. I mean, I think about it a lot. I actually, we were talking about this with um, someone else, you know, who was considering founding a company. And I actually think that for us, we'd worked together before. So we knew our working styles and, and where our strengths were. But two, you come in with a ton of trust, um, which I think is actually a massive advantage in some ways because it's scary doing a startup. It's hard. Um, we're out of our depth a lot of the time. And when you're doing it with another person, you're almost always going to have to have another person, right? Mm-hmm. Very few people are both the business side and the technical side. Uh, I am so thankful for the things that Niji does. And I can, I'm so thankful for the fact that I knew that he could just go do it. And yeah. I didn't 
I could trust him to do it, and then we could have a conversation about it. You, you know, one of the things you hear a lot about founders is that they they feel vulnerable. They have imposter syndrome, but they can't talk about it. Do you two talk more openly than you think non-spousal founders would talk? I think we're very much able to. Yeah, we talk all the time. We look <laughs> yeah. at each other over the kitchen table all the time and go like, what happened? Like, what? Cool, great. <laughs> okay, let's like talk through that or talk forward through that. And so that that level of trust um, and that commitment to each other and then to the business is, is made it, I think, you know, for me, um, a really great experience and one that I, I've seen you know, sometimes, especially with business founders and technical founders, it can be really hard to talk each other's language and to not like try to overreach into the space and be like, well, why don't you solve it that way? Why don't you solve it this way? And because we already have the relationship and the boundaries, I can say, okay, I'm going to trust you to do that. I'll give you my perspective, but I'm not going to be hurt if you don't take it and mm -hmm. vice versa. Um, and that's, I think, how some of our best decisions have been made too. Or, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. And then we talk it through, but we trust each other at the end of the day that we're going to make a good decision together. Well, yeah, go there's, ahead, no, there's no filtering either. I mean, that's yeah. the biggest thing, right? Yeah. Is there's so much of the human brain that's used to, you know, put yourself in the other person's shoes. You have a lot of empathy in every interaction. Um, you, you think about how they're perceiving your feedback work, or whatever though. it is. It, it's it, work. It, totally. Yeah. And it's a huge part of, of communication, but, but with us, we don't have to do that. Hmm. If, Something's working. I'm like, yeah. And if something's not working, you're like, this sucks. Like, how can we fix this? Well, and you mentioned at the end of the day, well, there never really is an end of the day, is there for you two? Is that okay at this point? I actually, well, so one thing we did early on is we figured out how to, and I think this is one key thing in any relationship, but especially when you're a husband, wife, co-founders, we figured out how to fight about the business and fight about life separately if we were going to fight. Um, and the other thing, and I think having our, our daughter last year has really helped with this too, is that we do take time that is just not business time. And and I've had to say a few times, Sunichi doesn't always like to hear it. He's like, comes in and he's like, I'm going to ask you a bit. And I'm like, I can't talk about it right now. I just can't. I need 20 minutes, half an hour, two hours where I don't talk about it. And we've, we've learned that language um, so that when we do talk about it outside of the office, we're excited about it. Hmm. And when we need a day where our, I just cannot hear another, he can't hear another thing about insurance and we just need to hang out with our daughter or stare at a wall or whatever. We say timeout and we go do that. You really do. Yep. Yeah. It took, it took him, took a little bit for us yeah. to build that. Um, but we both figured that out pretty quickly. If mm. we're going to survive this thing, especially with a baby. That yeah. We, we got to know how to turn it off. Well, and speaking of a baby, I'm sure she's adorable. You know, your investors, I'm sure say she's adorable. <laughs> and yet... She is Don't actually they adorable. Want, oh, man. <laughs> I'm sure she is. But I mean, do they, how do they feel about you saying, we're turning you, we're tuning you out today because we're going to spend the day with our daughter. I mean, do you ever have to have that conversation or you just, that's just life and you move on? I mean, we, we've, we've put a lot of effort and thought um, and very yeah, deliberate decision-making to pick a team of investors who you know, have actually gone through what we've gone through. So the, I think everyone except for one of our investors is a ex founder operator or current, mm. current founder operator. Yeah. And, um, they were, you know, we're mostly on the same page and, um, there's, there's never been a question of like, Hey, you're not spending enough time on the business or you're spending too much time on your, your daughter. I mean, we would, uh, we wouldn't be very excited to have them. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I also would say about our investor group too, is they appreciate having gone through it before too. I think there's, you it, it's not at a number of hours in a day game. There's part of that, but there's also a part where you have to turn your brain off 
you have to focus on the rest of your life so you can come back as a whole person, especially when you're standing in front of a team and their whole people who are experiencing yeah. things. It's really, really important to both of us that they see that and see, and see both sides of that. Some of our greatest ideas are after we've spent six or eight hours not thinking about mm -hmm. it. Um, and so it's a, it was important to us to find investors who understood the whole process. That's great. And yeah. Funny enough, we actually have, uh, we have four married couples on the team. You're hiring married couples. Isn't <laughs> yeah, so, that interesting? So funny enough that we don't get them as a pair. We'll we'll get one, <laughs> and then and then usually a couple months later the other one will come. Um, assuming we have a role. Assuming we have a role, of course. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, I don't know if it's a good thing, bad thing, like neutral. Um, it's just kind of an interesting. I think wow. part, partly being married founders, it's obviously very acceptable. But other <laughs> companies uh, are worried about that. They're scared to have. Married couples in the workplace. Do you see that differently? There's risk, but there's a huge reward. We we wake up talking broker compliance, which is boring <laughs> I don't mean as that you sounds. I don't mean you two, but I mean having employees, you know, spousal employees in the team beyond yourselves. You're just shrugging. It's fine. I mean, I think so. They're, di I feel they're like, different functions. Well, they're so different. They're, yeah. So I also feel like there's. Uh, has to be an evolution about how you think about an employee as well. I mean, fundamentally, yeah. right. Um, you know, historically for women, they were very afraid to say that they were pregnant in the office. They uh, had often had a hard time coming back from leave and other things of that nature. And we have a lot of ideas of what's going to happen if we breach these norms of what's acceptable yeah. in the workplace. Um, we raised money while I was pregnant. I had to step out of a call because I had really bad morning sickness. Like that isn't normal and we can still be successful and, and move forward through it. So, you know, we really think about who's going to come in and be passionate about this space. Um, are they excellent at their role? And we've hired some great people who have amazingly uh, like amazing spouses who are super capable of what they're doing, who are interested in our problem statement. Um, but I think the, you know, I hate the phrase new normal because there's like all the COVID thing, but I'm like the new normal I want in a workplace is where you can be comfortable being your whole self and bring a lot of yourself. And that's, um, that's an exciting thing for us to be able to represent, I think as co-founders, uh, and also to create a space where, you know, we can prove that some of these things that historically have been scary, no go, you know, risky, uh, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But well, and you're really proud from what I've, what I've researched, uh, to be a, a woman CTO, to have lots of women in technology in your firm, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and that is not a normal. Um, and I still think it can be successful, uh, from the teams I've built in the past and I'm team I'm building today. And I think that's a, it's really something that we've loved to see as we've built out the team here. Cool. You're listening to Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the podcast featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Jen Knight, CTO, and Niji Sabarwal of AgentSync. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. Please don't forget to rate Proco360 in your app when you finish this episode. And we are running low of time, so I'm just going to speed us right up. And um, your your business is, um, I mean, you've said you want to differentiate based on two focuses, customer love and world-class talent. Customer love, I mean, come on, this is insurance. How much love can there be is my first question. <laughs> so when we think about that, I think a lot of it, customer love is customer empathy. Um, and, and understanding. Uh, the insurance space is super, super complex. The first person that we hired, her name is Sandy. Uh, she joined us. She's been in the space for over 30 years, 
fantastic, so, so knowledgeable. And when I think about customer love, it's us showing up and saying, hey, we want to help you solve this problem. Not because we magically overnight became an expert in this niche of the insurance space you're in. Because within insurance, insurance is niche. And then within insurance, there's even more layers of that. So when we think about customer love, it's really creating a product that meets them where they are, that helps them take them to the next step of the journey and is really respectful of the challenges that they're up against. So, all right, I'm going to ask you a tougher question, yeah. especially because Benioff is one of your investors. And that is you can't really have customer love without great user experience. And ultimately, you're dependent on the user experience of Salesforce. And there's not universal love for the customer experience, the user experience at Salesforce. So now you're intertwined I mean, your, your user experience, your customer love is dependent on something customers don't love. Well, so I'll, I'll jump in on that one because I spent a decade building <laughs> Salesforce instance. <laughs> of course it's a loaded, a loaded question. question. No, it's a great question. It's actually a really fantastic question. Um, one of Salesforce's great strengths is it is a platform that allows its customers to do what they want on it. And in that, you can, with it, create a very poor end user experience. And actually... Some of our first interactions at LinkedIn in the early days was sales ops, Niji showing up and saying, I want to do X and me looking at him and going, I'm going to have a full revolt of the sales team showing up at my desk because when they see that happen, they're not going to think Niji wanted Salesforce to do this. They're going to think Jen broke Salesforce. Why is Salesforce uh -huh. broken? Uh, so, so we think a lot about that, right? That as a platform, it's really, really powerful to create an experience, you can create a great experience, you can create a terrible experience. The other thing as a platform is they've actually created some really great tooling to allow us to customize the experience. So for very critical user experiences where we need to reduce clicks or have a very specific flow, we've actually built custom UI on top of the platform. And that's helped us uh, use all of the great things of the platform that we get out of the box alongside a more bespoke, refined uh, end user experience. But yes, it is a, it's a controversial platform. <laughs> yeah, well put. And then also, it's it's worth you know worth uh, kind of reminding us or reminding ourselves that the bar for software and user experience in the insurance industry is incredibly low. So we've <laughs> we've been we've been able to come with a kind of well thought through you know business process built on the best in class you know CRM on the market today, which is yeah as Jen pointed out highly customized for that specific workflow. Yeah. So you know. Salesforce is a toolkit at the end of the day, and, and um, it's their blessing and curse. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now, as as we wrap up, so many companies talk about this. You know, we're building a business to harvest data, and we're going to make money off the data we harvest. We're going to give it away for free, and we're going to make money on the data. You have really built a pro a, a company that solves a problem. You're charging money for it. That's all great, and it looks like in the future you can do some additional things with data, some additional. I mean, what's coming? Yeah, so we have um, um, we have some very interesting uh, kind of product releases coming out coming down the pike here. Um, we actually just I can't talk too much about it. But we just acquired our first company, um, yeah. so more more to come in the next couple of weeks. We're gonna do it. Uh, you haven't announced it yet, though. We've not announced it, um, but we we yeah, it's it's in the works. So there's so less than twenty five million. Less twenty five million is some of that's not there. Uh, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think from, from things that we're thinking a lot about in, in line with that, um, and actually in line with the question you just asked, is that we're really thinking about what is the user experience 
Uh, so we focused our first um, kind of push out the gate of serving these administration teams that we talked about and really thinking about it from the business angle. I'm an agency. I'm a carrier. I'm an MGA. What am I worried about? What am I thinking about? In that, we did think about what is it like for Jen to go through this process, and we did create custom workflows and UIs around that. But there's a whole interesting kind of idea about who is Jen in this transaction? Who is the agent? What are they experiencing? Um, what can we do for them to make their experience of this process mm -hmm. overall much better? And you know, we've been noodling on a lot of ideas of whether or not that plays with our existing product, or if that's just a, a kind of a, a shift, um, oh. an addition in this in the in the portfolio to say, you know, if you're in this side of the house, this is the experience you have with Agent Sync, and if you're someone who's engaging in it as an end user, um, there's a slightly different uh, approach there. So that's a that's oh. actually what we spend a lot of our time nerding on about now is uh, like, what does that look like and um, what is that kind of new piece of the puzzle going to look like for us? Yeah, and it's pretty interesting that a lot of a lot of technology companies have focused on you know the carrier. Usually, they'll have the pockets to pay for software, but you know at the end of the day, the brokers hold all the cards. They mm -hmm. are the salespeople. They are the distribution channels. So we're super excited to deliver some some really interesting um, pieces of value mm -hmm. um, to the broker well, in, that, in that relationship. I'll be watching as it is. As this whole industry, like so many, has become disintermediary, disintermediated, you still have to deal with licensing. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys are looking at that. Yep. So um, last question, though, as you think about your future, you know, you've, you've now been founders, co-founders for a couple of years. Uh, you've got a daughter. Is life, I mean, you're hiring. you got a bunch of money, not quite as much as you did, but a bunch of money in the bank. So how does life look different for you in six months, 12 months? Well, our daughter will be walking, so we will be in a constant state of terror. Uh, yeah, one, one of the things we, we realized going through this is, um, you know, the most important skill set a founder needs to have is just be flexible, always, like full stop. There's six months ago, the way that we thought about the business and the problems we were solving are fundamentally different the way we think about now versus, you know, 12 months ago versus 24 months ago. So it's constantly evolving to the point where you know we we have a vision we have a roadmap that we're executing against and we have a financial plan we have a headcount plan we're executing on those pieces and constantly evolving the way that we kind of think about our our market opportunities the way we're we're going to market as a, a sales team you know what the product's doing how customers are, are using the product and getting that feedback loop so it's just been dramatically evolving every couple months here. So it's super important for us to not get too caught up and hold on to things too tightly because it's just wasted, wasted energy. And we just don't have a lot of time for that. Yeah. I see Jen nodding. Yep. Yeah. No, it's a, every, like I said earlier over the kitchen table, every once in a while we look at each other and go like, Whoa, this is where we are. And so I, when I think about the next six to 12 months, um, you know, we've been hiring some great uh, heads of roles. You know, we're looking for about hopefully closing a head of marketing. We just brought on our head of engineering. We're looking for a head of product. And each one of those individuals come in and help us transform and really power forward part of the business. So you kind of highlighted we have these North Stars that, um, and how to operate the business, but an open mind to what could come next and uh, what we might find out. So it's exciting to cool. think about that. We'll keep watching. So I'm going to wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Taver, and today I'm Proco360. You've been listening to my conversation with Niji Saberwal, CEO, and Jen Knight, CTO of AgentSync. Thanks, Jen, Niji. It's been a fun conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. 
Listeners, thanks for joining me on ProCo 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the ProCo 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, Digital Frontier Printing, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show, Live, Work, Love Colorado.